This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. This month on the podcast, we spoke with Dr. Santo Padula, Materials Research Engineer at Glenn Research Center in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Padula has developed testing techniques to support the development of advanced materials like metallic foams and shape memory alloys. Shape memory alloys are metals that remember their original shape. And with the application of heat, a deformed shape memory alloy returns to its initial form. I was looking at the abstract, and the first line of it says, shape memory alloys are metals that remember their original shape. Can you uh, explain what that means to remember its original shape? Well, these have a unique uh, area in the energetic landscape that gives them a unique deformation mode um, that we call a twinning process. And what it is is it's a solid-state phase transformation that allows us to manipulate crystal structure, so in other words, the atomic structure of this metal between two different structures, all in the solid state, just by manipulating the way that we either mechanically load it or thermally load the system. So what it allows us to do is it allows us to put energy into the system that creates a shape change and then merely by heating and cooling the system, um, we can actually re- recover all of that shape change, even in the presence of large external forces. So it allows us to, to begin to design components that uh, will be deformed by some external force to a shape, but then simply by heating and cooling them, we can actually get them to work against that load or external force and move and change their shape so that they can begin to be used as solid-state actuation devices that can replace conventional hydraulic and pneumatic systems. Right. So what are some of the possibilities with this kind of capability? Well, so the automotive sector is already using these uh, materials greatly. In fact, almost every lumbar support system that's in vehicles now um, is actually uh, SMA-driven, usually using shape memory alloy wires as the actuation uh, component. But we're at NASA trying to develop new adaptive technologies for large-scale aircraft in the aeronautics world in order to do things like replace uh, flap elements and control surfaces on wings with much more lightweight and compact and efficient systems, um, changing everything from exhaust nozzles and being able to shape the inlets um, to doing stuff in the space world um, where we do deployable um, solar array collectors, um, various antenna, movable antenna systems where we can actually get the antennas and or solar systems to to track, like let's say the sun, um, in order to produce power for them. Um, Pretty much anything you can think of that would be actuation-based, we can begin to um, change the way that that's done with a much more lightweight and efficient system. What is stabilization time and why is it so important to reduce the stabilization time for these shape memory alloys? 
Well, as an, as an example, um, you know, when we talked about some of the potential applications, one of the applications would be, let's say, a flap on a, um, a wing box um, for a conventional aircraft system. And in those systems, um, under the current methodology of how we stabilize those materials to be able to get them to change repeatedly between two different shapes, that typical process would normally take us on the order of a week and a half to two weeks to stabilize that component so that it could remember two identical shapes back and forth and basically be at a low minimization in, in its energy space so that it would not want to deviate from those conditions. Mm -hmm. This particular patent <clears throat> and technology development allows us to basically change the way that that's done, which currently is through a thermomechanical cycling process being able to do it in what we call an isothermal or at a fixed temperature um, and use a mechanical energy in order to produce the same effect that only takes us about a minute to two minutes. What are some of the weaknesses of that thermal mechanical cycling process that you mentioned? Well, there, there are no necessarily, necessarily weaknesses. Um, the, the issue is, is the time that it takes us to reach that minimization in the energy, which is what causes or creates stability. And so this new process basically gets us to that same point via a different path and just reduces the time that it takes for us to achieve quality actuation systems. And how do, uh, can you explain again how this new process works? So this new process basically just allows us to pick a single temperature in Generally speaking, we could actually do it even at ambient temperature. And then what we do is, is we load the component in a very specific way um, to large forces that drive um, deformation within the system in order to achieve a particular, what we call a strain state in the material. And then that strain state then allows us to maintain stability for the component. What do you think is most exciting to you about this new method? Um, the ability to very quickly produce stable actuation systems that, in our belief, are going to revolutionize the world. I mean, the ability to be able to now take a simple material, piece of material, and use it in the form of like, let's say, a tube to completely replace an entire hydraulic system on an aircraft and do equivalent function is a revolution. And, you know, these materials are easily capable of doing that. We've actually done demonstrations with Boeing on 737 where we've done just that and we've flown that plane under aero loads just by heating and cooling a tube instead of having massive hydraulic actuators, lines, fluids, pumps, things that are very heavy and, and in essence cost us more fuel burn. So, you know, we're able to use technologies like this one being developed to create quality and stable materials that now can begin to replace systems on aircraft and make it cheaper and, you know, more efficient to fly. 
Is this the current focus of your your day day to day work? Yeah, my my day to day work focuses solely on shape memory alloys, um, both for actuation systems like we've talked about, but also um, for super, what we call super elastic technologies, which is a mechanically induced transformation instead of a thermally induced transformation. In those systems, what we're doing is we're developing new classes of alloys and materials that uh, will allow us to do what we call structural components. So these, these components now can be loaded to much higher loads and go through significantly larger deformations than we could put into a component that was made of a conventional metal like steel or aluminum or brass and not have any damage to that component, um, not have any um, what we call plastic deformation, which would you know basically take the component out of tolerance. These materials allow us to create the same kinds of components, um, put large deformation fields on them, safe, like as in an instance there was an overload condition we weren't expecting, and have that be damage tolerant and actually return to shape and therefore be continue be able to be re, you know continue to be used in the application rather than have to be replaced. What are the real world applications for an alloy like that? So as an example, we've uh, within the group we've created a, a new class of bearing alloys. Um, based on 60 nickel titanium, um, and uh, those particular alloys are capable of about three and a half GPA and four percent reversible deformation. So they can do significantly more loading <clears throat> than any other bearing system, whether it be a traditional iron-based system or even a silicon nitride ceramic-based system. Those materials under those much larger loads um, resist. Um, raceway denting and other things that would otherwise lead to fatigue failure of the component. So we can now begin to use these classes of materials to do things that we do applications with bearings that we could never do before without uh, risking damaging or having premature failure of the component. What's a typical day for you? What are you working on now? So a typical day for me consists of many different things depending on the day, um, from you know managing and casting vision for the program to you know going in the lab and doing empirical testing on the alloys that we've created um, in order to understand their mechanical properties and um, decide how we want to change the alloy or the thermomechanical processing of that alloy in order to make it perform better in a given application or in, in a general service condition, um, all the way to helping to develop the new uh, classes of material models that we can use inside of <coughs> finite element packages um, to begin to look at how we want to design with these systems, um, all the way to studying the atomistic physics um, that are associated with these components and these alloy systems so that we understand what's the best textures and or thermomechanical processing routes to apply to these materials to make them perform the best that they can in service. You know, we're just trying to continue to advance the science of this area um, to where not only just the science but um, also the the availability of these materials in the commercial market so that people can begin to see that there's you know another alternative to the conventional metal systems 
that might allow them to <clears throat> open up an area of the design space that they've never been able to achieve before. So this is, uh, you know, once we get to that point, we'll be at a place where I think um, design will, will truly be a paradigm shift. Were there commercial markets that you didn't mention that uh, are important to emphasize? Well, shea memory alloys are already heavily used. They've been heavily used for decades in the biomedical field. Um, everything from femoral catheter tubes to arterial stents mm -hmm. are generally made out of super elastic nitinol because you want to be able to take those materials through large deformations without damage. And then in the case of a stent, you would, you know, basically deform that radially. You would put it into a catheter delivery tube. You would send it up the femoral to the, the site where the blockage is. And then you would deploy that stent and have it basically radially open up and produce pressure on the vessel wall in order to open up that constriction and, and restore blood flow. Um, so you can't do those kinds of deformation fields in a conventional metal system. They would never recover. And these materials, will, you know, because of the uniqueness of this solid-state phase transformation, we can do those kinds of applications. We can send a femoral catheter up from just inside your groin all the way up and snake it all the way to your heart without kinking and the risk of not being able to get it back out. So there's all kinds of things there, and it's just con you know, continuing to grow as we you know, are, are able to de develop and design more and more of these systems. One potential area which hasn't been um, actually taken advantage of yet, um, but is you know, very much possible, is the area of um, replacing what we're doing conventionally with um, various types of implants in order to um, basically create better systems for the body. Conventionally speaking, a lot of the implants, like let's say for a, a hip ball joint, um, have to be extremely hard so that they don't wear. And then the alloys that are used currently, that obtaining that property um, comes, comes with other properties that are not so beneficial. One of those being that they're extremely, extremely strong relative to the bone. So something like a hip implant that has a, a big shaft that goes into the, the femoral bone um, oftentimes creates problems because the way that the load shedding happens, we have um, bone densification at the tip of the implant, but then we have a lot of osteoporotics, osteoporosis, that develop along the length of the shaft where the bone's been unloaded. So with these new materials like nitinols, nitinols themselves conventionally are very, very hard, just like the implants you would use for a, a hip implant or the alloys that you would use for a hip implant. But nitinol has this very unique characteristic that we can manipulate, which allows us to more match the bone stiffness and therefore get rid of some of these other issues. So there's a whole host of areas both in the biomedical world, the actuation world, and in structural superelastics for regular industrial applications that we can really start to take advantage of because of the unique properties of this material.